Good morning. How are you guys doing? I love the 11 o'clock service. Like, people are alive. You know, I, I don't have to go, nope, he's, he's no longer with us. Um, so, check this out. I think I look like Damien. You ready? Huh? The washboard? I don't know how he does it. Makes me sick. <clears throat> I think my, my Fitbit isn't working anymore. Anyways. I already said welcome. <laughs> uh, my name's Mark Mielbrecht. Our beloved Pastor Ken is actually in Belfast right now. Yeah, halfway around the world. He actually preached at 2.30 in the morning, our time, not their time. So maybe you didn't catch that. But yeah, um, so he had me step in. And uh, you guys, I'm excited about this morning. As you know, we're in a series right now called Perfectly One. Two weeks ago, we heard from Stuart and Amanda. They brought a message on one essence. And what I remember from that especially is, is when they talked about eternal life and the fact that eternal life is a relationship. It's not a destination. That is such a good reminder. My friends, our eternal life starts right here, right now. It's a relationship with our Father. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven, we can start that right now and be involved with him right now. And so that was a great message. And then Pastor Ken last week, if you remember, if you were here, he talked about one purpose. And one of the things he said was before Jesus focused on doing something, he focused on being. And I think that's such a good message for us, especially as Americans, because we like to do, we get value for being busy, right? And yet, I think especially with our Lord, he just enjoys being with us. Just being, right? He doesn't love us any less if we do less. So today, we're going to talk about one response. And I'm going to start us out by telling a story. And this is a photo of a soccer team, a youth soccer team in Thailand. Maybe you've been following this story 12 of these boys, of the Wild Bowers was the name of their, is the name of their team. 12 of these boys, and they're between the ages of 11 and 16, and their coach, who's, who's 25, decided on June 23rd to go uh, exploring after practice, exploring a cave system. And they'd done it before. So they went in there, and well, several hours later, the park ranger came. And he was closing up the park for the night, and he noticed a pile of bicycles and soccer cleats and backpacks just left there. And he knew what had happened. He knew they had gone into that cave, but the problem was it started to rain. The monsoons hit right then and there. They flooded the cave system. They flooded the entrance to the cave. Nobody could go in or out. Over the, the next couple days, they, they brought in Navy SEALs from all around the world, special divers. They brought them from the US, China, Great Britain, Australia. My friends, they mounted a huge rescue operation to see if they could find these boys alive. And I started following it about day two. And then day three, nothing. Day four, they're, they're going through all this flooded, these flooded tunnels looking for any evidence of these boys. 
nothing. Day five, day six. I mean, at this point, I'm, every time I wake up in the morning, I'm checking my phone. I'm like, wow, did they find these guys yet? Did they find them? Are they alive? Day seven, day eight, day nine. I mean, they're, they've got to be thinking of quitting at this point, giving up. They're, they're almost two and a half miles into the mountain, and still they haven't found these boys. Day 10, they find them. And they're all alive, every single one of them. And their coach, see, they found a high spot, and they were huddled there for 10 days. No food, no clean water, in the dark. Can you imagine? 10 days. I don't know about you, but in a cave, I, I think that's an eternity, right? I mean, after two days, after two hours, I'd be like, I think I'm, I'm done here. I mean, imagine how difficult that must have been. And then hope. A bright light shines out of the water, and they're like, finally, they've come for us, right? But here was an additional problem. They were found and they were found alive, but now they need to be rescued. They need to be brought out of this cave. Why? Because there's two and a half miles of flooded tunnels to, the, to get to the entrance. There's 1,700 feet of solid rock above them that they knew if they drilled down through that, they'd probably cause a cave in and you know, destroy the, the, the whole situation that way. But they were running out of time. They thought at first, we can wait four months if we have to. The monsoons will go through October, but we can just keep ferrying you know, supplies to them. Yes, except for one key ingredient, oxygen. These boys were running out of air in this cave. Were they gonna suffocate? Or were they gonna die trying to swim out of the cave using scuba gear? Most of these boys didn't know how to swim. I'm gonna finish that story when we're done here. But what I wanna do at this point is read John 17 with you guys. So pull out your Bibles if you have them. The ushers have probably already passed some out for those of you that need Bibles, but turn with me to John chapter 17, verse five through 12. Jesus is, is praying here the high priestly prayer, and he says, and now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. But I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the spirit might be fulfilled.
So the setting here, I know Pastor Ken talked about a little bit last week. Some say that you know, he was in the upper room at this point. He just finished the Last Supper. Um, others say somewhere in the Kidron Valley on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the garden is where he gets arrested, right? But I think more importantly is the when. He's approaching the end of his life, and he knows it. He just broke bread with his disciples for the last time. Now he's approaching that brief imprisonment before his death and his burial and his resurrection. So as we look at John 17, 5, Jesus says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I mean, think about that. Jesus has been in relationship with the Father for eternity. From the very beginning of the world, Stuart and Amanda spoke about this, right? From the very beginning of the world, God has been in relationship and he spent the last 33 years in human form. That's just, that's just a blip on the map, right? But he came and he lived among us so that we could know the invisible God. John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The time for Jesus to fulfill his mission, to redeem his people, to, to die for the sins of the world, to set the captives free, and return finally to his heavenly Father. This time has finally arrived. Paul says it best, I think, in Philippians 2 5 through 11. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing or emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think we need an amen after that, right? This is our Savior. Wow. So he prays this, and then he prays for his disciples. And I'm sure at this point on the, on the way to the garden, Jesus is thinking, he's thinking a lot about his upcoming death and what must happen before he's reunited with his Father in heaven. But even during this stressful time, he takes time. He takes time to pray for those, those precious few that he spent the most time with. Over the last three years, his disciples, his spiritual children that God has given him, the men he poured his life into, his heart, and his teaching. And I love it. 
Because he says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. They were a gift. And he's praying for them specifically. Yes, he also prays for the world, for God so loved the world, right? But in this particular instant, he's praying for them. And he's praying very specifically. He prays for strength for them. That they might carry out the word and and the teaching of Jesus on, on the road ahead standing against the temptations of the world that would would be coming. And he prays for their protection against the schemes of the evil one further down in this passage. And he prays for them that they might have unity. Interesting, right? I mean, I think this gives us a beautiful glimpse into how Jesus sees the disciples. If you're a parent, like I am, and you were soon to be leaving your children, don't you think you'd pray for the same things? For strength? That they'd be able to handle anything on the road ahead? For protection against the enemy and against this world that we know what it's like, right? And unity. That they would, they'd be together on this and that they would be in unity with one another and, and with the world around them too. Yeah, as a parent we'd do that. And here's a photo This is one of the the moms holding a photo of, obviously, um, her son still in the cave, still waiting to be rescued. But you can just tell how proud she is and how excited she is to be reunited with her son once again. These parents and family members spent every single day in front of that cavern. Many of them never left, praying for their boys to be brought home. And I would have to say probably praying for strength for them and for protection and for unity of everyone involved, including those people who are are, uh, set to rescue them. Jesus also speaks to their identity and their mission. They do not belong to the world, its values or its systems, right? But they belong to Jesus. One commentator I read said, to belong to Jesus requires the courage to be different, to be like Jesus, actually, for the sake of the world. To belong to Jesus is to take part in his mission from God to the world, to live out that divine love for the world that, God, that moved God to give up his only son. And that struck me, right? that moved God to give up his son. I have, I have two sons right here and a daughter. I can't imagine any good reason to give them up. And yet God did that for us. He gave up his son for us. Jesus prays for unity among the disciples. John 17, 11. It says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. The idea of keeping them in the Father's name is, is for them to remain in all that pertains to the Father. 
Jesus is asking God the Father to guard the disciples that they might keep living with the words of the Father, which Jesus has given them, that they would continue to reveal the glory of God through their words, through their lives, and through their witness. The second half of that verse speaks to oneness, unity among the disciples in their stand for Jesus and against the world. They would need to remain united in both their love for one another and proclamation of the truth. There is no greater sense of unity here than mere, there is, sorry, there is a greater sense of unity here than mere cooperation or like-mindedness of doctrine. Paul gives us a glimpse of this when he tells the church in Philippi to be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. My friends, I want to ask a question this morning. What is the highest value of our church? That we would all be the same? That we would believe the same way, have the same opinions? What is oneness? Oneness is not sameness. Ellen Hilton speaks to this point in A a House United, How the Church Can Save the World. (laughs) I just love the book for the title right there. Um, It shouldn't surprise us to hear that God's church comes in many different shapes, sizes, colors, and dare I say, political affiliations. Many believers, yes, even here, in our beloved North Shore Christian Church have been shot by what the military term friendly fire. These are shots that land on members of one's own army misidentifying the target as hostile. Christians shoot down Christians perhaps because we interpret disagreement as hostility. And my friends, I'm seeing that a lot, and it's really troubling. One of the news reports talking about the search for these lost boys said this. Over the past 10 days, the rescue operation has brought the Thai people together in this politically polarized country in the hope that the boys and their coach would be found alive. My friends, I love that because I think we see the best in humanity when people from all countries, even countries that are warring with one another, people of of different race, ethnicity, religion, whatever, they're, they're all focused on one goal, to bring these boys out alive. And we see that in earthquakes, we see that in hurricanes where People just, they just come together. It's like, oh, I've got some food here. You can have some of this. You're like, wow, did they just do that? I thought they were hating each other just a day before that, right? No. Some, sometimes the worst things that happen bring out the best in humanity. And my question is, Amen. why can't we live like that all the time? Yes. Why can't we, especially the church, be known for that? I know this crazy stuff's going on, but we're going to love you right now, right where you're at. Amen. What would that look like? 
What would it look like if we were so preoccupied by being on mission to love one another deeply and to defend the oppressed and the marginalized fiercely and to seek to win others to Christ with such a heart of compassion that there's no room for petty, small story arguments, disagreements, and judgments that I find myself caught up in if I'm not careful. Just, that's just it. That's reality. Maybe no one, is, no one in Everett is stuck in a cave in imminent danger of suffocating or drowning. But I think we can safely assume that at this very moment, my friends, perhaps tens of thousands of members of our communities are living without the hope of the gospel right now. And they're not experiencing the love and compassion that we as a church could be bringing them. And at this moment, they're destined for an eternity separated from the God who loves them and who created them. And my friends, it doesn't have to be that way. And I don't know about you, but I know people right now, like my sister, Cheryl, who's in a very dark, very deep cave. And I tell you right now, I have tried to rescue her and I don't, I don't know how. But Jesus does. He does. And I have to believe that he will. And maybe you know people in your life. Maybe that's you right now. But, but would you be willing to go into the cave and bring people out, people that you know, people that you love, and total strangers, because that's what Jesus did. So the rest of the story, these divers, the water finally began to recede enough for them to go in and attempt to rescue these boys, many of who couldn't swim. They taught them how to swim. They taught them how to use this dive gear. Can you imagine? That's your first swim lesson. Here, we're gonna have you swim out of a cave in the dark for a mile and a half. No, seriously, so on, so last, you guys, last Sunday, a week ago, July 8th, after being trapped 18 days in the cave, four of these boys were brought out alive. It took nine hours, but a team of professional divers brought them, and at this point, it was over a kilometer, but you can see this map. Parts of it they could actually walk out of, but they still had to dive and, and go through flooded tunnels, about a kilometer and a half total, where they had to swim through that. But they brought these four out alive. And then Monday, Four more boys were brought out the same way. And Tuesday, they brought out the, the last four boys in their coach. Beautiful story. I was so, so enthralled and captured by it. This is Chanine. I'm going to kill his last name, but it's Vibunrung Roang. Roang. Um, 11 years old. He's the youngest uh, of those boys that was in that cave. And his dad said this, I want to say thanks 
to those who rescued my boy and helped him to have a new life. It's like a rebirth. That's what he said. Everyone was brought to the hospital. There was a few respiratory issues, but miraculously, everyone made it out of the cave alive, except for one man. He was one of the volunteers. He was one of the rescuers. Saman Kanont, a Thai Navy SEALs diver, died after running out of oxygen towards the entrance of the cave. You see, his mission had been two days before the rescue attempt to bring oxygen tanks and to lay them on that path so that these boys would have enough oxygen to get out of the cave alive. I don't know if he gave up a tank that he should have kept, but he, he ran out of oxygen on the way back. He gave, up, he gave his life, and, and the very thing that he needed most he gave to those boys. You know, this diver giving up his life reminds me of another story, one that we're familiar with, the story of our Savior, the one who came to die that, that we might live. Right? He fulfilled his mission by shedding his blood on the cross that ultimate atoning sacrifice for all of our, for the forgiveness of all of our sins. All of them. Just let that sink in for a minute. So that we could spend eternity with God. God who loves us, the God who created us. And there's a world out there waiting. You guys, we, we have the answers. We have a Savior. We know him. And we can bring him to those around us. So let's make it our mission as a church to glorify Christ, to know him and to make him known, to glorify him with our lives, with our work, with how we treat one another, and our witness. Read Colossians to you guys right now, um, or with you. This is Paul's letter to the Colossians, and I, I just love, I love how he speaks to the church here. And it, if we could, I want us to just close our eyes right now. You don't have to read this. I'll, I'll read it and just accept it. Just receive it from the Lord right now. This is Paul speaking to his church. He's, he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us. So just, if you could, just close your eyes and listen. Put on love then, excuse me, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, excuse me, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts 
to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're going to sing another song here. And this time right now, this space for the next few minutes is, is for you. It's for each one of us. I would just invite you to stay seated and just, just pray or come up here. There's some places where you can kneel. If you want to come up and talk to a few of us or pray with us, if there's something on your heart, if there's someone on your heart that you just want to pray for, we'd love to join you in that. If you need healing, if there's something that has troubled you for a very long time, whatever it is, I, I'm not going to guess, but, but you know what it is, and you know how Jesus can, can come in when we invite him. And once you leave this building, I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a million distractions. So just, this is precious time, and I'm just inviting us together as a, as a family to continue to, to worship and to seek God's face. Thanks.